Thanks for joining us for a classic edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. Several years ago, this weekly program was recorded at Michael's home studio in Franklin, Tennessee. We got to meet many of Michael's friends and hear about the work of God in the Nashville community and around the world. Though some of the details about guests and ministries may have changed, the powerful lessons from the Bible and the reality of God's faithfulness told in these conversations stand the test of time. Let us know your reaction. Our web and email address hasn't changed, but now you can connect via Facebook or Twitter when you search for Michael Card. This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. Michael, when I introduce other radio programs, I normally say this is in the studio with so-and-so, and he's an author and pastor. I don't know. What do I say about you? I know you're an I author. I don't know. The, the jury's out on <laughs> Sort of itinerant musician yeah. and a songwriter. And... I have some friends who are very good musicians, and, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm very proud to have some uh, wonderful scholars as uh, friends. <laughs> Speaking of, brains. Yeah, speaking of friends, uh, that's one of the values that we hold dearly here that's on right. this broadcast. That's and right. It's community. We, uh, we prepare a number of programs all within the space of a couple of days, and they're spread out over the weeks. But, uh, boy, we sure enjoy our times together. We so. do. We do. On the line today is one of those people. Yes. And would you like to introduce our guest? Yes. Uh, this is a good friend and a good, uh, good brother. We, 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 our, our paths cross, and we, we, you know, our hearts resonate together, and then we're, we don't see each other for long periods of time. So I, I have trouble calling him Don. I stutter. But uh, Dr. Uh, D.A. Carson, Dr. Don Carson's on the phone. Uh, greetings. It's nice to yeah. be with you again. Thank you. Thanks for giving us a, a block of your time. And thanks for all the contributions you make to helping the church oh. sing the whole council. Of oh. Thank you. Uh, Thank just you. before we dig in here, I'd like to mention that Don Wurtson is another Don. I mm-hmm. didn't think about that, but another mm-hmm. Don is going to join us here in the second half mm-hmm. of our program. Uh, Dr. Carson, you no doubt know Don yeah, Wurtson. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, he's uh, going to play the piano for us yes. and talk with us here in the second half mm-hmm. of the program today. All right, Michael, your book is called A Sacred Sorrow, mm-hmm. and uh, is there a connection here with Dr. Carson? Oh, definitely. Um, I sent the, the manuscript uh, to Dr. Carson when it was uh, I was still working on it, and uh, I got a, f- a phone call on the cell phone. I'm driving down the street, and I get a, uh, a call, and I uh, answer the phone, and lo and behold, you know, that's it's a little bit of a shock, you know, <laughs> uh, and he was... Uh, I don't know exactly how to say it, but he was he was concerned at, at an aspect that I had overlooked, which hmm. was uh, c- lament of contrition, and, uh, and that's and the kind of feedback you're looking for. Oh, when you absolutely, write a book like that. and and so so very gentle about uh, this input, but saying you know I'm really concerned about this, and but I don't want to you know be you know give you a hard time or anything, and I, and I said no, this feels like love, <laughs> and uh, so Don, you don't just rubber stamp those books when they oh, come no. to you, huh? No, I, I'm just. Too miserable. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, but you were you were so you know reluctant and so gentle about it, but uh, absolutely dead on. Uh, I had completely overlooked one of the most important elements, and so that's where the community comes in again, and uh, we can go to each other and have the confidence to say, "Look, you missed mm-hmm. this," and uh, and and I'll I'll always be grateful. Uh, Don, for that uh, very gentle and loving input, and I, I did what I could do to rewrite things and added a section, and uh, and then uh, sent it back or sent the changes back, and and then you you gave me a a go ahead, and I'm very grateful for that. Well, I'm grateful for people who, in their various ministries, 
are eager to be corrected by Scripture mm-hmm. uh, rather than uh, feeling they have everything taped. I mean, yes. we, we just all got to be corrected by Scripture, or mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we can talk about the truthfulness of Scripture till the cows come home, and it doesn't mean a blessed thing. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. The theme of the book is Lament, mm-hmm. a Sacred Sorrow, and that's our theme for our conversation for the next few minutes with Don Carson here, Michael. Yes, we've, we've done some uh, earlier shows on Old Testament lament, but what we, we'd like to talk to Dr. Carson about is uh, lament in the life of Jesus, uh, Jesus the man of sorrows, and, and how lament functions uh, in the Gospels and in, in his life. And so, Don, is, just, just get us started as, uh, as you think about uh, the life of Jesus. Um, you know, uh, how do you begin to talk about lament in his life? Well, I remember reading as a young man, uh, I don't remember who it was that wrote it, but as a young man I remember reading that, uh, a uh, superficial but, but, but obvious observation, as soon as somebody makes it, there is no recorded passage anywhere in the Bible that says Jesus laughed. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying he never did, and there's certainly lots that speaks of his pleasure in doing his Father's will Mm -hmm. and and that sort of thing. So I don't want to hint, even for a second, that he was a a doer, miserable, sour-faced sort of person. But the fact is, the hard fact is, it nowhere says Mm -hmm. that that he left. It does say he wept, Mm -hmm. and uh, and on more than one occasion. And uh, and as you rightly pointed out in your... your, uh, uh, reference as well. Uh, prophetically, he's described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And part of this, of course, is tied to the whole purpose of his coming. He, he didn't come simply to be a sort of laughing leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came to go to the cross. Mm-hmm. And yet the sorrows, although his laments are tied in part to the agony of his own soul, you can't read Gethsemane without seeing that. Mm-hmm. Yet they are tied also to his compassion. Um, when, when he can berate the hypocrites of the city and still weep over the city, mm. we are, on the whole, much better at analyzing our culture than at weeping over it. Mm. Um, whereas Jesus could penetrate to the very core of things in his utterance, but still weep over the city. Mm. I wonder if some people listening are somewhat surprised to hear us call them laments that Jesus lamented. It's almost a sort of more public form of tears. Mm-hmm. Tears can be very private, um, and, and sometimes in our minds, their tears are tied with uh, self-pity or, or with merely personal grief, and personal grief is often very private in one sense. It's very personal. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's wrong for that reason. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's just very personal. You, you lose a spouse, and it, it's, it's first and foremost a personal grief. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but a lament, although it can be it can be triggered by such a thing is is over a more public thing um and 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 when jesus weeps over the city it is not only his personal grief as he sees the sin of what's going on but also um it is a a, a huge burden for him it mm. it is a public lament that uh, the evil is multiplying you're talking about uh, luke chapter 13 luke chapter 13 uh, verse 34 o yeah. jerusalem jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones god's messengers how often have i wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings but you wouldn't let me in yeah. and now look your house is left to you empty and you will never see me again until you say Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a similar sort of lament in Paul. It's not exactly the same, of course, but when he could wish himself accursed for his kinsmen according to the flesh. 
that too is a kind of lament, isn't it? Mm. And I think in another passage that is sometimes overlooked, I, th- I think I think it's sometimes misread just a wee bit, John 11, um, where we're told around verse 35 that Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Um, that is often cited as proof that Jesus um, uh, knew sorrow uh, mm-hmm. uh, when, when he was bereaved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's a terrible misreading. In, in fact, if it's read that way, it's hard not to envisage his tears as as anything other than crocodile tears. Because, yeah. I mean, how do you lament over someone you know jolly well is going to be out in two more minutes? You sort of be giggling under your breath instead, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, when the, the aside is there in John, is the, the people say, oh, look how much he loved him. I think that's, an, in John, there's this always this indication that the people around don't really know what's going on. They don't have a clue. Yeah. And, and not, not only so, but, but, but our English translations often have something like, he was deeply stirred in spirit and troubled, or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Uh, almost all our translations have that. But, but, but in fact, the expression in the original means all the German translations have it right. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why the English ones don't. It, it, it's literally, he was outraged hmm. and troubled. In other words, um, the reason he's outraged in the whole flow of the thing, he, he's had this long conversation with Martha first. Then Mary comes to him and begins with exactly the same sort of utterance. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. But mm-hmm. this time, there's a whole crowd of professional mourners, plus all the other mourners. In those days, you had professional mourners who sort of kept up the pace of the mourning by, by uh, crying and, and playing mournful dirges. And, um, and and moaning out loud and shrieking and, and that sort of thing. That was considered, there's no British reserve in this. Mm-hmm. This, this, this. This was what you did to honor the, the, the grief of those who are mourning. Mm. And all of these are around. And Jesus sees this and, and understands it to be the mark of death, the mark of the curse, the mark mm. of unbelief, the mark of sin. And he's outraged by it all, even while he's troubled mm. and, and filled with compassion. Mm. You've got the love and you've got the outrage at it all. And, uh, and then it's repeated after the tears, too. Mm. It, it seems to me that compassion without outrage in the face of sin easily reduces to sentimentality. Mm. And outrage without uh, tears and, um, and, uh, and without uh, compassion easily turns to self-righteousness. Yeah, just moral indignation. That's just moral indignation. Yeah. Well, it, it, Bill Lane used to talk about, uh, especially toward the end of his life, would talk about the death-impregnated world. Yes, that's right. And sometimes when I read Jesus weeping, at, 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 for instance, at Lazarus' tomb, it seems like he's caught up because, as you said, he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It's not oh, see how much he loved him. It's just that he is just so... I, I never thought of outrage before, but, yeah, outrage at the, this, at the world not being the way it, it was created to be. Not the way it's supposed to be, uh-huh. as, as Planning puts it in his lovely book. Yeah. You know? We're going to ask Michael to sing in just a moment. Actually, the song is Psalm 22, which before we ask Michael to sing it, we must talk about this. It's really Jesus. Uh, Psalm 22 is the prophetic uh, look ahead at the mm-hmm. cross and the crucifixion and Jesus' lament on the cross. Yeah, l- let me make a statement and then you respond to it. And if, if you disagree, that's fine. We're, uh, we're You know we're brothers and friends. How about this statement, though, Don? Uh, at the point in his life when Jesus is being most used by God, he's lamenting. Is that a fair statement? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. And his, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, uh, must not be read in um, merely psychological terms, as if what we're supposed to learn from this is, well, Jesus got discouraged, so it's all right if we get discouraged too. Uh-huh. Um, it's far deeper. In, in the account of that lament in Matthew 27, when it all comes to 
to a crisis. All through that chapter, from Matthew 27, verse 27, all the way down to 50, there is irony after irony after irony after irony. So, for example, that the crowds cry, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Mm. And they think they're being ironic. But there's a deeper irony, because there was a profound sense in which he couldn't save himself and others. Mm. If he saved himself, he wouldn't be able to save ah. others. It's, all, it's irony all the way through there. Mm. And then you get down to the last few verses, 43 and on. The, 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 the crowds uh, uh, cry, um, in effect, um, uh, this, this, this man at, at this point uh, is, is troubled. He, he is uh, abandoning things. He's, he's crying out to, to, to the Father. He, there's no confidence in him. Mm-hmm. But, but, but when he does cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Granted the sweep of the irony all the way through, this is, does not mean that suddenly Jesus has abandoned confidence in his Father. All along he has known exactly what he's come to do. That is what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Rather, he is bearing all the burden of self-conscious isolation from his father as he goes to accomplish on the cross what he came to do. Mm. And in the psalm itself, after all, the psalm ends in triumph, (laughs) just as Christ's death ends in triumph. We have such a clear picture of the crucifixion in this psalm. David becomes a kind of paradigm of being abandoned he feels by God and friends and everyone else, and yet ending with absolute confidence and triumph. It, mm. it, this is a, the cross-based extension mm. of Gethsemane, not my will but yours be mm. done. I think that serves as a good introduction to asking mm. Michael to sing Psalm 22 right here in our conversation. Don Carson Great. with us today in the studio. Michael, go ahead. Saving me so far from the words of my groaning. By night and by day I cry out in pain. So why do you not answer? And you are enthroned as the Holy One, and you are Father's trusted. They cried out to you and were saved. They were never disappointed. They have pierced my feet and hands I looked for comforters but found none Oh, how could you forsake me? Oh, my strength, come quickly, come Come now, O Lord, and save me despise or disdain the suffering of the afflicted. In the congregation I will proclaim that from the grave you lifted me. From Psalm 22, thank you, Michael. Even as we've been talking about this lament of Jesus on the cross, we have this picture, of course, mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. in the Psalms. 
We've, we've looked at Psalm 22, and, and Dr. Carson, you made the point that it, it, it closes uh, with praise, as the, most laments do. Um, can we connect that uh, now even to the passage in Hebrews, which talks about the joy that was before him? Yes, it's certainly a New Testament theme and huge, although that particular passage in Hebrews uh, in the original can be read two ways. It can be read, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and so forth, Mm -hmm. despising the shame. Or it can be read, who instead of the joy that was before him. Mm. Um, The preposition is a bit ambiguous, and to be quite frank, scholars divide very neatly. Um, Could the writer have intended that ambiguity? It's conceivable. It's Uh conceivable. Um, and and, a few, and some commentators do opt both ways. Really? But even if you only opt for one or the other, in terms of theme in the New Testament, both are certainly taught. Mm-hmm. Think of Philippians uh, 2, for example. Uh, though he, he, he is one with God, he has equality with God. He does not think equality with God is something to be exploited, mm-hmm. but, but, but rather empties himself, makes himself a nobody, endures the cross. Where, therefore, he is exalted at the right hand of the majesty on high. So when you just look at the, the first joy, as it were, the joy that he had in the glory before the world began, there's a sense in which he gives that up mm-hmm. um, to, 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 to save us and go to the cross. Mm-hmm. But there's a longer frame yet in, in which he contemplates the glory of the triumph at the other end, too. Mm-hmm. Theologically, both are true. Both make sense. Both make sense in Hebrews. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, instead of the joy, he endured the cross. On the other hand, precisely for the joy, not only of doing the Father's will, but the joy of redeeming his own people, gathering them in, seeing the triumph mm-hmm. at the end, anticipating the new heaven and the new earth. Mm-hmm. With the anticipation of that joy, uh, he, he endures and goes to the cross. It seems to me that both are theologically That's true, even if you might not be able to infer both of them at once in very one passage. Interesting. Uh, we have just a minute left, but what does Jesus lament teach us? He laments all of the entailments of the fall all of the curse, all the rebellion, anything, therefore, that detracts from the sheer majesty of God. We exist to please God, to enjoy Him, to bring glory to Him, and and the entire universe is full of decay and corruption precisely because we want to be gods for ourselves. Mm-hmm. This is outrageous. It is evil, but it is also ineffably sad. And um, and you find all of those things coming together in Christ, along with the love of God that brings him to the cross in order to overcome all of this. Mm. Well, Michael, I know how much you appreciate the time of this good friend yes. to be with us here today. Dr. Carson, you shared with us um, some of the conferences that you're going to be attending and, uh, and helping with in, in the weeks and months ahead, and, and we'd like to close by praying for you. I'm grateful. Yeah. Lord, we, uh, we bring before you our brother, uh, Don, We thank you for the wonderful mind that you've uh, entrusted to him. But we especially, Lord, thank you for his heart, uh, for his pastor's heart. As he goes ahead in the next weeks and months uh, to minister and to uh, help other people take seriously your word, we pray that you would strengthen him, that you would make him unusually aware of your presence, uh, that Jesus, he would sense you intimately uh, with him uh, as he goes uh, pray for his his wife. Pray for uh, his daughter as she, as she moves uh, uh, to a different school for his son as he goes uh, into the battlefield as a Marine. Uh, pray for uh, perfect, uh, protection for his family, but, but much grace. And uh, Lord, we, we thank you for him, and we entrust uh, our brother Don to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, good brother. Thank you.
Dr. Don Carson, thank you for your time today. We're going to conclude this part of our conversation with asking Michael to sing once again. Uh, Michael has his banjo here. This is called Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. Michael, I love to hear you sing a song with a banjo like that. I know you yeah. love to do it that way, too, don't I you? I love using the banjo in different ways. I mean, bluegrass is great. Love bluegrass. But mm-hmm. uh, sort of my musical hero, Bela Fleck, plays mm-hmm. classical music in different mm-hmm. uh, styles on the banjo. So well, why not him, huh? You're all richer for hearing that. Thank you yeah. so much. Here's an email question sent to us by a youth pastor named Chris. And by the way, when you send email to us and ask questions, and we use the question on the air, we will say thank you with a New Living mm-hmm. Translation a Bible that will return. A really to nice okay. study Bible. I'll give that around email everything. address here in just a moment. Chris says, "I have a, I have a question. I'm intrigued by the Old Testament cities of refuge. Mm. In my mind, they are a typology of believers in Christ today. He is our refuge. He's also our high priest. Now, under the laws of the cities of refuge, the accused must remain as long as the high priest is alive. Mm-hmm. I find comfort in knowing that our high priest is immortal." However, even though he has conquered death, hell, and the grave, if he sees one of his children leaving his care, his refuge, perhaps he's not invulnerable to tears. And Chris wow. wonders what you think of that. Well, that that's a very complex idea. I, I think, I, I, I tend to agree, I think all those things are implied 
in that text, um, the cities of refuge that are de- established in numbers, uh, that was in a day when there was there weren't judges, there wasn't a legal system, mm-hmm. and uh, there had to be some protection there. Right, and if you committed murder, it was the family uh, family's responsibility to go and you know hunt you down and and execute you, and so you could flee uh, to a city of refuge. And, and it, he's correct, you were you were safe as long as the high priest. Uh, lived there uh, d- during the course of his life. You, you were see safe. The, do you see the analogy with Christ today? Yeah, I th- and I think that's a that is a nice uh, that's a nice connection. Um, I, I looked up Hebrews six uh, eighteen. Uh, so God has given us both His promise and His oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge can take new courage. For we can hold on to his promise with th- with this confidence, you know Hebrews that it's all about the high priest imagery. You know I think that really confirms uh, what Chris was talking about. Chris, thanks for your question. We'll yeah. send that Bible to you, and I'll give the email address for others to send questions in a moment. How about another song in the sure. studio today? This time you have the guitar to accompany yourself with, and John Ketchings is providing the the cello sound here for us on this great song, "Jesus, Lover of My Soul." Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high Hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past Safe into that haven guide, O receive my soul at last Other refuge have I none Hangs my helpless soul on thee Leave, oh, leave me not alone Still support and comfort me All my trust in thee is stayed All my help from thee I bring Cover my defenseless head With the shadow of thy wing Thou, O Christ, art all I want More than all in thee I find Raise the fallen, cheer the faint, heal the sick and lead the blind. Just and holy is thy name. I am all unrighteousness, false and full of sin am I. Thou art full of truth and grace.
Michael, here's another email. This listener says, I want to thank you for being such an inspiration and example of what the Christian life is about. I will always remember seeing you in concert when I was about six, uh-huh. 15 years ago. Wow. You were sick as a dog, and you still mustered up the energy to talk to a crying six-year-old who looked up to you. Yeah. So, so I actually remember. I think I remember. remember yeah, I remember that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's great to be out on the road, but sometimes you do. You get so tired, mm-hmm. but you, you it's this way in all ministry. You always get more you know, than you get when you're ministering. Well, we're glad for the questions and comments from our listeners. And by the way, you can find out when Michael will be in your area online. And we've just about made it to the halfway point of this session in the studio with Michael Card. But before we take a break, I want to invite you to join in the conversation through your email. You can send us your comments, prayer requests, and Bible questions to studio at michaelcard.com. And through the web, you can learn much more about the scope of Michael's music and teaching ministry. See for yourself all that is available at michaelcard.com. Online, you can check out our email devotional that Michael prepares each week. And I want to remind you that the study with Dr. Carson was just a taste of the rich teaching that is contained in Michael's new book titled, A Sacred Sorrow. There's also a broadcast archive of these programs on the website, michaelcard.com. Coming up in the second half, we'll sit down at the piano with Don Wurtson here on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Join us for a classic edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. We'll open up the program archives and present a session recorded at the Mole End Studio. The Bible teaching, guest conversations, and studio music performances are some of the most inspiring times when we gathered in Franklin, Tennessee. The instruments are tuned, the Bible is open, so make sure you join us. Look for the post and invite other like minds to hear the podcast. All the details at michaelcard.com. We are back in the studio with Michael Card, and Michael, our very special guest, is at the keyboard right now. Don Wurtson, um, long, long-time friend and uh, one of the greatest musicians uh, the Lord has given us. Thank you. 
Are you thinking when you do that? <laughs> I'm kind of uh, in the zone or whatever. Yeah, you that, say. well, that's what I'm I want to know. It's very intuitive, probably like your music, uh -huh. Michael. It's very well, intuitive. I'm more predictable, and it's all plotted out, and you, I play it one way every time. And no, it's it's not improvisational. I have so much admiration for uh, for people like you that can do that and go there. I just want to know what, what being in that place feels like. Well, I do some things that are plotted out and some things I've played so many times, yeah. you know, that your fingers kind of land in the same spots. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, it's, it's almost like an in-between zone. It's like when you're creating something, like when you're writing a song mm -hmm. and you, you kind of get into it and you forget, mm -hmm. you know, all of the pain and the agony and the struggle and the frustration and you just kind of yeah. get caught up into it. Uh-huh. And you forget yourself, and you forget what you're doing, and you just get caught up in the process. It's just a wow. wonderful thing. So, Don, if you were to turn and do that again, it wouldn't sound oh. quite the same. No. Well, I, I mean, I could play, I could play something similar to that, but it's going to be a little different. No, if you uh, ask him to play it again, you would, it would be hopeless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in fact, I've actually done. I, I haven't done it very often, but years ago, I did a whole piano album that I made up out of my head. And and then I I decided the comp the publishing company wanted me to do a book of it and to go back and try to figure it out. You had to write down everything. Well, yeah, just... I mean, you know, I'm listening to this. And what in the world is that? <laughs> you'd think you'd think since you did it that you'd be able to to do that. That's astounding. Hmm. It really is. Don, welcome back. Well, nice to have nice you back to, in the nice studio. Nice to be here. My pleasure. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about the Psalms and talk mm -hmm. about lament. Of course, Michael's book is a sacred sorrow about lament. Well, and and, and uh, Don's book, A Musician Looks at the Psalms, is a classic book on the Psalms. So we're going to kind of bring yeah. those two books together here today. For well, and, and Michael wrote a beautiful foreword to that, so mm. I'm really grateful for mm -hmm. that. But the Psalms, I think, are just very. Uh, relevant for our time, you know, post 9-11 and all of that kind of thing, because, you know, w when I was growing up, everything was like happy songs. You know, I'm so happy in Jesus, mm -hmm. and and uh, oh, I'm so happy, and here's the reason why Jesus took my burdens all away. And then you get into the Psalms, and they're saying, smash the teeth of the wicked, and <laughs> mm -hmm. they're kvetching with God, and <laughs> shaking their fist at him. And I was just talking to someone the other day about the raw emotion that you read in the Psalms. It's all there, isn't it? It really is. And I, I, you know, I, I'm so happy you've written a book on lament because I was just doing a little research in my library last night, and there are lots of laments in mm -hmm. the Psalms. I, I think uh, one scholar said a third right. of the whole Psalter, so that's like 50 Psalms worth, yeah. are laments. It's the biggest category of Psalms, yeah. is lament. And I've often wondered, you know, why do you have all this dark, uh, foreboding, melancholy, depressed, you know, angst-ridden stuff in the Psalms? And I think... It's like um, a black velvet curtain against which the diamond of God's grace mm -hmm. is showcased. But I must say, I'm, I'm a little, uh, it bothers me a little bit. When you're reading the Psalms, you'll, you'll read the, the, the psalmist is crying out to God. And then in the next verse, but I will praise you. Right. And I've wondered about that. Uh, and then I realized that the Psalms follow definite forms that were just discovered in our lifetime, you know, mm -hmm. by people like Klaus Westermann in Germany, who discovered that, that personal laments have a certain form and national laments have another form. Right. And praise, uh, personal praise has an acrostic psalms ob obviously follow the alphabet. Yeah. And people like Spurgeon, genius though he was, didn't know that, mm -hmm. didn't know what the forms were. 
And so I think as an American, you know, I need to remind myself when those psalms seem a little jerky, you know, when it's, it's almost like watching television mm-hmm. when, when you're really into some serious thing, you know, like the Shivo case or something, mm-hmm. and then you have a commercial. Right. Well, yeah, the mm-hmm. psalms can be like that because you're in this real melancholy thing. And then praise hits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have to realize that that's the structure, the form mm-hmm. Interesting. Of, yeah. of the psalms. So yeah. it's like a sonata, you know, where you have different little sections of it. Mm-hmm. Well, Don, you've done so much with the Psalms. And, Michael, you have a composition in front of you that Don has done on Psalm 1. I do. Uh, you versified it. Is that That's what, what I did. What you would call it? Well, and the, they say the first Psalm is like a microcosm of all the Psalms. Mm-hmm. So the first Psalm is really what the whole Psalter is about. Hmm. Well, I'd like to read your lyric. Oh, great. I'd yeah. love. And then Don, you'll play this for us. And you'll play the music that was written if you'll bring me the music. I will. I'll do that. You'll hand it across the room. You'll hear me stumbling across the studio. Well, this is Psalm 1. Like worthless chaff, the wind blows away, scorched by the bright desert sun through the day. No root below, no fruit born above. My life was thirsting for rains of his love. While roaming far away on my own, I stood with sinners with hearts cold like stone, sat with scoffing cynics at play, until my life changed directions one day. While meditating day and night, his word brought pleasure and highest delight. It quenched my thirst and nurtured my soul. It satisfied me and made my life whole. Well, Michael, if you'll hand the music there to Don, we'll hear what uh, he's done musically with this Psalm 1. Don Wurtzen in the studio here with Michael Card today. Don, whenever you're ready. Trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season without fail. Their leaves never wither, and in all they do, they prosper. Just one verse from Psalm 1 there. Don, thank you so much. Well, thank you. 
You, haven't you, played that for a long time. You never turned the pages of the music. You were still looking at the first page. And I know. I you was played a, the whole thing. I was afraid to turn the page. <laughs> yeah. That you know was... the old joke about that you say to a guitar player, I know how to get you to play softer. I'll put a piece of sheet music in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> if I have to read music, it's a whole different mindset than kind of, you know, improving on the spot. Don, we've talked to you before about the fact that you all sit down at the piano and you, you use it for meditation, don't you? You think on the scriptures as you play. Sometimes. You know, I remember asking Twyla Paris, who, who I think is one of our finest writers, how she got her songs. And she said that she often has her devotions at the keyboard. Hmm. And I thought, what a, what a lovely idea. Hmm. Wow. You know, because I think songs come out of little motifs, you know, or ideas or hooks that, you, that something leaps out of God's word at you and you relate um, personally and artistically to it. Hmm. Yeah, something in you resonates and it, it takes uh, a, a little melodic form and mm-hmm. then it's it i think like you were saying before then it it, it takes on really a life of its own and uh, you fo- sort of follow it wherever it ends up going so i mean Michael, when it's right it's that way having just written a, a book on laments do you yeah. think we're going to have more laments sung in the church for going from you know, the happy time uh, i'm finding music? i'm finding more people are, are are sensing that burden i'm talking uh, there's a new actually a new book on lament i uh, forget the subtitle but it's just called lament but it's for the for the pew and for the pulpit and, you know, getting lament back into the church service. So I think... So it's being built in, even into services, I, worship services. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, I think that's where we're going. I, I hope so. Well, I think, you know, because it gives us the whole range of emotion. Yeah. In the Psalms, you know, you have the praise things and the uplifting things and the euphoria and everything. But for that to be even especially meaningful, you need the backdrop of the laments. And it's also part right. of the nature of reality. Yeah, obviously. and we have to make a place in the church for people who who are confused or struggling. And God has given us the language to express that to him as, as an act of worship. I've got to believe that I'm still worshiping him when I'm reading those words. Well, you know. I read something that you wrote that that rather than really being aware of the pain of the people in, in, uh, in our churches— we're oblivious to it, and we yeah. turn up the volume, yeah. mm. and we try to bring more rhythm or more uh, uh, intensity or yeah. electronically yeah. or whatever. And yet here, I almost wish we could keep the last couple of pews empty so people could just kind of slip in and yeah. when they're not in the mood to sing or whatever. Well, there was a place in the temple, you remember, the, have you heard of the Mourner's Way? There was, uh-huh. a, there was a place lined out in the floor of the temple, and if you were mourning, uh, you walked along th- those marks, and people made a place for you. And I think mm. we need to make a place, not simply pe- for people that are mourning, but people that are confused and and uh, aren't, you know, feeling like praise just mm-hmm. at the moment. They have mm-hmm. something else to offer God. They want to offer God their confusion or, or whatever. Well, the Hebrew Scripture does such a beautiful job with this kind of thing because the, the Hebrew people are so uh, passionate, mm-hmm. you know, about everything. And uh, I remember the first time I went to Israel and I saw the, the, the Hava Nagil and the little kids, you know, dancing in little <laughs> circles. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think, you know, little, our little kids, of course, my, I have little grandkids now, but mm. when you watch them, they just twirl and they move around and we kind of tell them, oh, no, you know, sit down, you know, be quiet, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the, well, I think that's that's where uh, this breakdown in lament starts, when we shush children that are weeping. Mm. You know, I saw that so lovely yeah. once. Years ago, I was in Dallas watching a big professional choir sing Wolowski's Battle Hymn of the Republic, mm-hmm. and they got to this gorgeous section in the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea, and this little girl, who was about six years old, was in the front, separated from her parents, mm-hmm. and she started singing it with the <laughs> choir, and because the timbre of her voice was so different, mm-hmm. so childlike, you could hear her voice floating in tune wow. over the choir. You couldn't produce that wow. like that. No, it, no, it was like pure music, and I thought, <laughs> I bet her parents in the back are just wanting to shut her up and stop yeah. her, because that's what we tend to do yeah. in this culture. Hmm. And yet she she was all by herself, and it mm. was so, oh, it was just luscious. It mm. was beautiful. Wow. wow. Well, Don and Michael, can we take a look at uh, a specific, another specific psalm of lament? Mm-hmm. Uh, talking earlier, we were talking about Psalm 73 before coming into the studio here today. Yeah, th- I think that psalm's important if you take seriously the idea, and we've talked about this earlier, uh, that, that the psalms are a, represent a journey from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. And that um, it's a psalm from Psalm 1 celebrates the law, celebrates the Torah. Psalm 150 is this praise psalm. And halfway through, almost exactly halfway through is 73, which uh, I think is, you were talking about one being sort of a a capsule of the psalm. 73 is that as well. It starts very much with the, the idea of obedience in the Torah. But then, like so many of the laments, he starts lamenting about the fact that, you know, there's a disconnect I can't be good enough. The The wicked are prospering, and I'm a good guy, and I'm suffering. So there's, like Job, you know, there's this disconnect, and he's sure, lamenting. Th- this is Asaph's psalm where he almost walks away from his faith, right? Mm-hmm. 73, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, the New Testament seems to promise prosperity. If you're obedient to the law, I will bless you. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at people that are totally disobedient of the law, and they're yep. prospering, prospering, I mean, and uh, other people are are uh, the opposite. Yeah, You know, they're obeying and they're suffering like, man, and he's almost walking away from his faith yep. because of that. Hmm. And this was one of the major leader, leaders of the ancient temple, yeah. Asaph. And then he enters the temple or God's house and he has this experience of the presence of God and it's wonderful. See, I, I'll, I'll often ask, you know, did the same guy that write verses like 1 through 15 also write you know, <laughs> after the, does it even sound like the same yeah. guy? Because <laughs> Formerly, he's so focused on the wicked and their prosperity, and then now he's saying things towards the end like, who do I have in heaven but you? Mm-hmm. you know, you're all that I want. Why don't we ask Don to uh, sort of musically interpret Psalm 73 for us here. And you'll read it today. You want me to read it? Yeah. All right, Psalm 73. This is from the NLT version of the Scriptures. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me... I came so close to the edge of the cliff. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such a painless life. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They aren't troubled like other people or plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and their clothing is woven of cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut through the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. 
Does God realize what is going on, they ask? Is the Most High even aware of what is happening? Look at these arrogant people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Was it for nothing that I kept my heart pure and kept myself from doing wrong? All I get is trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then one day I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I thought about the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, swept away by terrors. Their present life is only a dream that is gone when they awake. When you arise, O Lord, you will make them vanish from this life. Then I realized how bitter I had become how pained I had been by all I had seen. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet still, I belong to you. You are holding my right hand. You will keep guiding me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. But those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. done. Thank you very much. Psalm 73. I've, n- I've never uh, had the experience of reading a psalm like that with a musician like Don at the keyboard, Michael. It was great to be in. I'm in between in the studio, uh, in between the two of you, and that was a, that was a wonderful experience. Hmm. I don't think I've ever heard it quite that way before, ne- and probably never will again, huh? I remember one night here in Nashville at Brentwood Baptist Church, we did the whole book of Revelation, mm-hmm. and you can read the whole book from beginning to end in, f- in an hour and five minutes. And so I got to play under the whole book of the Revelation, mm. all those vials of judgment and wow. everything, and then mm. the holy city coming down like a bride adorned for her husband. Mm. Yeah, it's oh. really wonderful. Mm. I think music adds another dimension yeah. to, the, to the word. Well, I wish we had more time, but we're yeah. going to have to rush right ahead here. We want to hear one more time from Don Wirtz at the keyboard, Michael. And we're going to go on to the end. We talked about the Psalms being a journey from 1 to 150. We looked at 73. Now, let me read 150, mm-hmm. and then, uh, Don, would you respond uh, musically, I'd be glad to, the to do that, and but, we'll close with this. Then. Yeah, but thanks, thanks for giving us a block of your time. It's always good to see your face, That's, and God bless you as you go to Texas, of all places. To yeah, I'm to professor Texas. of music at Southwestern Baptist oh. Theological Seminary. How oh, about That'll that? Be great. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. God bless you. Well, they're they're fortunate, almost and lucky. They're mm. fortunate <laughs> to have you. Let me read Psalm 150. This is uh, the last. This is the, the 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 last sign on the road on the journey. Praise God in his heavenly dwelling. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. 
Praise him with a blast of the trumpet. Praise him with the lyre and harp. Praise him with the tambourines and dancing. Praise him with the stringed instruments and flute. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with the loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that lives sing praises to the Lord. you've joined us for this session in the studio with Michael Card. If today's program has been a help to you, I'd like to encourage you to let us know. Through email, you can pass along your comments and questions about the Bible or living the Christian life. The address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. Now, you can learn more about this program as well as Michael's teaching and music ministry on the web. Our online address is michaelcard.com. And there are many features that you can take advantage of which will help you amplify the ministry of this radio outreach. Learn more about Michael's tour schedule, read his article in From the Study, and follow up the teaching of this broadcast with the weekly email devotional. And if you'd like to listen again to this broadcast, no matter what your schedule, then visit our audio archive at our radio page. The details and a complete listing of Michael's CDs and books, including his latest work titled A Sacred Sorrow, can be found at michaelcard.com. The scriptures used today were from the New Living Translation. Our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for joining us in the studio with Michael Card. In the studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.